This is SB Nation Radio. The next generation of sports radio. Kelly's going to run right. He heads to the goal line. Does he break the plane? He does! Touchdown, Ole Miss! This is College Football Game Day. Roberts is in the shotgun. He takes the snap. He runs to the left. It's a sweep. He's to the four, to the He's three. In. He's in. Touchdown, Michigan. Here are your hosts, Rich Sermonello and Joe Lisi. Buckle up. College football is back in a big way. Bowl season kicks off a little bit later today. Five big bowl games on this cold, blustery day right here in the Big Apple. Rockin' Riley's. This is the Fantasy Sports Radio Network. Stay with us for the next two hours. We have you covered for bowl season. Rockin' Rich Ceremonello, this is what it's all about. Sit back with your hot toddy and watch a great slate of college football later today. Well, Joe, I mean, if you look outside, we have a little bit of snowfall. It feels like winter. A lot of the country is gripped in cold, chilly weather. I mean, this is a perfect time of the year to begin bowl season. Kicks off today. We'll go right through the national championship game. I'm very excited about today's matchups. Me as well. I mean, some intriguing battles. I mean, you look at this matchup, Texas, San Antonio, and New Mexico, Houston and San Diego State in the Las Vegas Bowl, Arkansas State and UCF, App State and Toledo, and then the big game later tonight, Southern Miss and Louisiana Lafayette. This is what it's all about. Rich and I have a great show planned for you today. We're going to take you through the next two hours, break down these bowl games, along with the week's action leading up to Christmas Eve when we do our next show. If you want to talk college football with us, give us a call, 844-843-6879. That's 844-843-6879. You could follow me on Twitter, at GoForTheTwo. You could follow Rich on Twitter, at RichServ. Manello, that's C-I-R-M-I-N-I-E-L-L-O. Some breaking news before we get into this slate of action. Minnesota, still no decision. They decided to suspend 10 players for their bowl matchup against Washington State in the Holiday Bowl. It's an intriguing battle, contrast in styles, but school officials don't know what the situation is because the Minnesota players are boycotting any football activities They might have to bow out of that game and allow Northern Illinois to take their spot. Still no decision on that. Rich, that's an intriguing situation because I don't think we've seen it in college football where a bowl team decides to suspend all activity and might not play in the bowl game and allow another team to take their place. Yeah, it really is fascinating, Joe. I... I I always thought we would get to this point where you would see a team possibly boycott a game, boycott a bowl game. I thought it would be more over uh, the situation that we've seen in the past where you know teams are trying to unionize, teams are trying to get paid uh, for playing in bowl games. I thought that's what we would see. This is unexpected from the standpoint that the Minnesota players believe that their 10 teammates are not getting due process, that they're not getting an opportunity to state their case. They've already been suspended for the Holiday Bowl, and now they're threatening to sit out. And, and to add to that, Joe, Northern Illinois is not quite sure if they can pull it off. It depends on how tight the window is, whether or not they'll be able to get the team back together again. Obviously, they haven't been practicing. They haven't been preparing for Rod Carey. So very precarious situation for the Holiday Bowl. A lot at stake, a lot at stake economically 
if Minnesota does not show up for this game. And that's a great point because it isn't a lower-tier bowl. We're not talking like uh, the, the, the New Orleans Bowl where revenue – this is the Holiday Bowl. This is a big generating in terms of revenue, economic revenue for yeah. San Diego. A lot yep. of people come to see this matchup. It's an intriguing Big Ten, Pac-12 battle. And to see a team like Minnesota who's solid on both the offense and defensive lines and a blue-collar team, and they have players that want to move on to the NFL to first – further their careers, is this a detriment to them? I mean, does the NFL scouts that are going out to watch this game, when you see players like this boycott, is that sort of a red flag as they move on to their careers and possibly the NFL? It's a good question. I don't think so. I, I, I think if I'm an NFL GM or an NFL scout, I'm saying to myself, there is solidarity in that locker room. There's not individualism. I, I think a lot of these players, I'm sure, want to suit up one more time. Uh, if you look at a Steven Richardson, if you look at a Mitch Leidner, they want to prove themselves one more time in front of the NFL scouts, but they're putting their team and their teammates above their own personal interests. If I'm on the NFL side of things, I actually look at this as a positive. These kids are really serious. Drew Wolitarski, uh, their wide receiver, came out very eloquently and stated their case. So I think Minnesota looks mature in this process, and it's something that's going to play out very interestingly over the next few days. As of this morning, there's the, the school officials, the AD, the president met with the team, but still no decision has been made. The real issue with the play Players has been, it really didn't come from head coach Tracy Clays. The president and the athletic director said that they suspended the players, did not give the reason why, so the players were left in the dark on that issue and, and made it seem like head coach Tracy Clays was on board with the suspension, so I think that that's mm-hmm. where you have the separation from the players to the administration, and that's going to be the issue that plays out later in the week. I mean, at what point do they make the decision? Is there is there a decision where if they continue to boycott, this game might not be played? You know, again, from an economic standpoint, I I, I think the Holiday Bowl officials can't allow that to happen. I, I think they have to stage a game. They have to have an opponent for Washington State, and I'm sure they have a drop dead date in which they say, listen, we we need X amount of days in order to get, if it is Northern Illinois, to get Northern Illinois prepared and ready to go. Get the, I mean, there's a that's a logistical nightmare if you think about it. That kind of a turnaround that quickly is logistically difficult for the Holiday Bowl. So I would think we're coming very close to that deadline. Uh, to me, the big issue here is I, I think it could be trend-setting. It could be pioneering because Minnesota is learning, and those players are learning, Joe, that they have a tremendous amount of leverage. I would not be shocked to see this something similar to this happen in the future. These players realize that we hold all of the cards. We could sit this game out, and it could have a major ripple effect uh, throughout college football. The game is due to be played on this Tuesday, December 27th. It is the Holiday Bowl played in mm-hmm. San Diego. So we have to keep on close. Yeah, that's, I mean, 10 right day, around, that's 10 days away. Right yeah, around I mean, the we're corner. Very so. close. I mean, we yeah. did. We did have our holiday party last night. Rock and Rich Sermonello and I were in transit in New York City downtown at the Greenwich Tavern. Great place with the Fantasy Sports Radio Network. And we were getting into a heated discussion last night about <laughs> oh boy. Uh, about the bowls, uh, whether there's too many bowls. And I said I was going to bring this up on air. I love the bowl yeah. season. You could give me a hundred bowls. I do too. 
I think, I think the more the better. You can saturate it. This is what it's all about for me. I know you're against that. You think we should sort of trim it down because yes. you feel like we we have a watered down product during bowl season. Yeah, I do. It's not that I don't like the bowl season. I don't want that to be the characterization. I love it. I love the bowl season. I love that we'll have games on a Tuesday night. We'll have games on a Wednesday night. Again, it's a great time of the year when you look outside to stay in and watch football. But I think it is watered down. I think uh, 40 bowl games, 80 teams, teams under 500 is a travesty. I think it waters down the postseason product, Joe, but I think it also waters down the regular season because teams become bowl eligible earlier and earlier in the process. So instead of us watching games at the end of November that really matter, let's say it's Boston College and NC State and they're and they're both six and five or they're both on the brink of bowl eligibility. I want to see that game. So what we talk about all the time is let's not cheapen the regular season, right? That's the sanctity right. of college exactly. football. Let's not, but that's what we do. If we allow too many teams in, if 80 teams are in and teams are qualifying for the postseason earlier in the regular season, I think we cheapen the regular season in college football. All I'm saying is give me seven and five. That should be the threshold. Get to seven and five. I have no problem. I don't want to see five and seven Mississippi State in the postseason. It's the everybody gets an award culture that we're now basically championing in the bowl. I think it's too much. Well, we'll see. Here's my feeling on the whole situation. We're going to probably expand the playoff. Uh, People are arguing they want eight, they want 12, and we're going to have a regular season non-existent, much like the college basketball that we have today, where 64 teams or 65 teams with the playing games, possibly 66 get into the tournament. The regular season is non-existent. You have teams loafing through the season. I I think that when you look at this bowl season, it gives teams a reward for having a a successful season. Even though you have five and seven teams, you do get rewarded. We'll take a quick break. We'll come back, pick this discussion up. This is Joe Lisi, Rich Sermonello, live from the Big Apple, Rockin' Riley's Fantasy Sports Radio Network. Keep it where it is. Back on the Fantasy Sports Radio Network, right here from Rockin' Riley's New York City state-of-the-art studio. Rich, on the 27th, we were talking about Minnesota and Washington State, that scenario that might play out. Another intriguing scenario in college football is the Wake Gate scenario, where Wake Forest fired their broadcaster for the year. I mean, he was giving information possibly to other teams like Louisville and Bobby Petrino. They have a very intriguing battle against the blue-collar team in Temple on the same day. I mean, when you look at this day overall, uh, Minnesota and Washington State on the 27th, and you have Wake Forest and Temple earlier in the day in the Military Bowl, do you think that negative criticism will affect this Wake Forest team in this matchup against the Owls? No, I, I actually think they'll be galvanized. I, I think it'll be Wake against the world in this game. I actually, I know we'll spend more time on it next week, but I, I think Wake Forest will be highly motivated for Temple, and Temple, on the other hand, no longer has their head coach in Matt Rule, so I think Wake Forest will play very well. I think this story will ultimately, Joe, be more about Louisville than it will be about Wake Forest. Wake Forest took it on the chin. It's a shame. It's shocking that you know teams were taking information 
position to beat Wake Forest. They haven't been a powerhouse in the past couple of years. But Louisville is the big story because if Bobby Petrino was aware of what was taking place, and obviously his co-offensive coordinator, Lonnie Galloway, he already uh, has has, uh, faced – uh, penalties for for the information he got, but Bobby Petrino, I don't think he could survive if he was aware that this was taking place. And this isn't his first running. You want to say with controversy, Bobby Petrino with Atlanta, Bobby Petrino with Arkansas. I mean, he's had his mm-hmm. issues. Here's the problem I have with the whole situation. I understand it is college football. You need to win, but there's got to be a line that you have to cross. If I'm a head coach. I want to win without information. I want to. I yeah. want my kids to step up because of my co- coaching ability and what they are able to do on the football field. I don't want inside information that gives my team an edge. And if I'm a head coach, I want to play it straight up, even though winning is the most important thing when we break down these matchups. At the end of the day, there is. if somebody's doing that on my staff, I would expect that the other team, if they get the information, tell me. And that's the problem that when you look at this situation as a whole, I have a big issue with Bobby Petrino. And we'll touch base when we come back from break. We're going to take a quick break. We're going to break down these five big bowl games. Keep it where it is. This is Joe Lisi, Rich Cermonello, live from the Big Apple Fantasy Sports Radio Network. You're listening to College Football Game Day on SB Nation Radio. Here are your hosts, Rich Sermonello and Joe Lisi. Back on the College Football Game Day show right here on the Fantasy Sports Radio Network, live from the Big Apple. Intriguing battle in the New Mexico Bowl. It is Texas San Antonio, who is 6-6 six and six overall, taking on Bob Davey and the Lobos, 8-4 and four on the year. They're playing this game in New Mexico. Home field advantage for the Lobos. Rich, I like the way New Mexico runs the football. Frank Wilson has done a fantastic job with Texas San Antonio this year. They've played bowl teams like Colorado State, like La Tech, Texas A&M, just to name a few. A, a gutty team, but I really feel that New Mexico has the advantage on both the offensive and defensive lines in this battle. I agree with you, Joe. You mentioned the running game. That is the key for me for New Mexico. Give a lot of credit to both of these coaches. Uh, both New Mexico and the and UTSA, the Roadrunners, have exceeded expectations. Very impressed by Frank Wilson. First season as a head coach, wasn't even a coordinator. He was an assistant coach with LSU. We always knew that he was an ace recruiter, one of the better recruiters in the country. Looks like he can coach as well. He took what Larry Coker began to build and really ramped it up this season. But I don't think they have the personnel to stop those running backs. They're so relentless with Tyrone Owens, Terion Gibson. They're home run hitters out of the backfield. Forget the home field advantage. I think it's the running game that is the difference this afternoon against the Roadrunners. I agree with you. You look at New Mexico overall averaging 360 yards on the ground, 109 passing yards per game. This team was 5-1 and one at home this year. Bob Davey, a defensive-minded head coach, you give him the extra weeks of preparation. I think it'll benefit the Lobos in this matchup. You look at Texas San Antonio as well, 2-4 and four on the road, and they did play solid competition. A much better team at home than they are on the road. They're plus four in turnover margin this year, but minus two on the road. They're allowing opposing offenses to convert 39% on third downs, only 26 sacks on the year. But here's what I look at when I look at their offense going up against New Mexico's defensive front seven. They've allowed 43 sacks already entering this battle. I think the New Mexico, if they jump up 
up early. They'll dial up some blitzes and, and force pressure. I mean, you look at their offense as a whole, Texas San Antonio, methodical, 154 rushing yards per game, 221 through the air. But if you've watched them, not a real consistent type of high-octane type of offense that uh, Frank Wilson runs there, uh, they really force turnovers and, and need field position to win these ballgames. Yeah, listen, I, I think uh, I think UTSA can have success through the air. Dalton Sturm, uh, the quarterback, has had a good season. New Mexico, not solid on the back end of the defense. You brought up something that I'm glad you did, Joe. I want to touch on it a little bit deeper. Offensive line problems for UTSA. You mentioned the 43 sacks. That's a problem against New Mexico because one of the things they do do well is generate pressure off the edge with their defensive ends, Garrett Hughes, Nick Diavanzo. So I, I think that bookend of those two veteran ends against that UTSA offensive line, that is going to be a problem. I expect to see Dalton Sturm fielding a lot of pressure as he drops back to pass. And when you look at these matchups bowl preparation-wise, it's very hard to judge motivation for these kids. I mean, uh, you have to find the team that are motivated and find out which coaches have the coaching advantage because I do believe that when you have time off in terms of preparation, the better head coach will have his team's focus for the most part and and the team that usually has a significant advantage which I feel New Mexico has on the offensive line, they'll be able to create running lanes and if they jump up early, I just think it's going to be a long day for Texas Mm -hmm. San Antonio. I mean, here's the other thing when I look at New Mexico overall, converting 45% on third down conversions as an offense and when you when you can get that going in the early part of games and the defense stands on the field for long periods of time you have the ability from a rushing standpoint to wear the teams down opposing defenses in the second half of games and that's what New Mexico has done you look at some of their games this year in terms of New Mexico they laid it on Wyoming later in the year I mean they rushed for over 500 yards on the Cowboys defense defense and in that route at the end of the year so I mean 56 to 35 they won that ball game so that's a great momentum builder for this team as they enter this ball game well a very good point and look at the numbers too I mean you think about a ground and pound run-based offense you know you kind of expect big backs four yards a carry four and a half per touch But look at the numbers for those New Mexico running backs. Gibson is averaging 9.2 yards a carry, and Tyrone Owens is up over 8 yards a carry. So at some point, and maybe multiple times this afternoon, those backs are going to rip through the roadrunner secondary, and that is absolutely demoralizing for a defense. So they'll gobble up a lot of yards on the ground, but they'll also pop some big plays, and I think that's going to be the issue. I don't know if... The Roadrunners have the offense to battle back. They're going to get down early. New Mexico is going to continue to run, wear down that defense. I really like the Lobos in this game. I think both teams have motivation, Joe, but... Bob Davey has prepared teams for bowl games before. This is a first for Frank Wilson. And and he has done a fantastic job with New Mexico. It wasn't an easy turnaround. I mean, this team wasn't, you know, top five in terms of recruiting. It wasn't top five in terms of talent. He's really brought a blue-collar mentality to New Mexico, and it's shown on the football field. I mean, there were some games this year that they could have won. I look at the one game against Rutgers where they jumped up 21 to 
nothing in the first quarter of that ball game. Let that game slip. This team could have been nine and three just off of that game. Uh, I mean, he's done a fantastic job in this turnaround and a sort of under the radar team here with New Mexico. I mean, you watch it; they play blue collar and they're physical at the point of attack. Don't you find that interesting, too, Joe? I, I do. Like when when coaches who reinvent themselves at smaller schools, you know, Bob Davey, an assistant at Texas A&M, head coach at Notre Dame, he was at the pinnacle of the sport for a while, goes into the broadcasting booth, has a successful uh, career behind the mic, and now he goes to Albuquerque to reinvent himself. I love when coaches do that. We've seen it with others, the Howard Schnellenbergers. I mentioned Coker before, goes from Miami uh, to, to San Antonio. I, I find those stories very interesting from a coaching perspective. I do as well, and you can look at one coach that's going to be making that transition, and we have to keep an eye out as Butch uh, Davis with FIU. Uh, But I never thought that, I have to be, not to get off the sway here, but I never thought that FIU should have gotten rid of Mario Cristobal. I thought he built that Mm -hmm. program up. He had an off year after he lost guys like T.Y. Hilton, and it was a trans, I mean, you're not getting top 10 talent in the state of Florida, so they should have never have let him go, and they suffered there with Ron Turner. Never thought that that was a great hire. Ron Turner never had success when he was a head coach. Had that one year at Illinois with Kirk Kittner and Rocky Harvey. But outside of that, he really was not a solid hire for me. Uh, but we have to keep an eye out and see how Butch Davis does at FIU. Yeah. No, that's it, a very good point. Uh, I to- totally agree as far as Cristobal. We've seen him do well as an assistant uh, with Alabama. Reminds me of Ruffin McNeil. I don't want to get way off the topic either, but Ruffin McNeil at East Carolina probably shouldn't have been let go last year either. Intriguing. We're going to turn our attention to the Las Vegas Bowl, and I suggest that everybody that watches these games today keep an eye out on weather because it was very windy in Las Vegas yesterday. Keep an eye for the weather report. We're going to take a quick break. We'll turn our attention to Houston and San Diego State. Can the Aztecs get the upset in the Las Vegas Bowl? Keep it where it is. This is Joe Lisi, Ritz Sermonello, live from New York, Fantasy Sports Radio Network. Keep it where it is. Back on the College Football Game Day Show right here in the Fantasy Sports Radio Network studios in Rock and Riley's. When Rich and I left off, we were talking about Wake Gate with the situation with Louisville and Bobby Petrino. Here's the, here's the problem I have with Bobby Petrino. You're a leader of men, Rich. You're a leader of men, mm-hmm. young men that are in school, that we're supposed to teach them values. We're not a head coach in the NFL like Bill Belichick with Spygate and Deflategate and all that where it's the winner. And, and it's still win at all costs. We get that. But as a, in, in an institution where you're supposed to instill values in young men, student athletes, how Bobby Petrino could sit there, lie to the camera when you know you have information, and then lie to your play. I mean, as a man, be competitive, mm-hmm. but I don't need that information because we're good enough to win it without that. What kind of a what kind of an example is that setting? He's supposed to be the adult in the room, and I think we forget sometimes. We watch these players, we assume that they're 
adults, that they're men, that they're professional players, but they're not. You're right. They are kids. They're 18 and 19-year-olds. Many of these kids grow up in households without a father figure, and that's why the coach is so important for student-athletes. Bobby Petrino and his staff should be setting the example. To me, if that information comes in an unsolicited form, I think you immediately have to go to authorities and say, received it? don't want it you take it from here john swafford head of the acc you take it for he uh, from here for him to take that information and then come back to us joe in an insulting way and say hey we got it but we didn't really do anything with it is completely unbelievable but it's very bobby petrino isn't it it is and and but here's the thing again it, it goes across multiple levels because Wake Forest, we know, doesn't have the same type of talent as Louisville. You don't. You have Lamar Jackson on your team. You're Bobby Petrino. You have a top five talent for the most part. You have guys like Josh Harvey Clemens. You have Devontae Fields from TCU on your team. You have Radcliffe, your running back. Staples, your wide receiver, quick. I mean, come on. Let's be honest. Let's keep it on the up and up. And if I'm a, with the competitive nature... I mean, it, it, it bothers me. I mean, I would be bothered by that. Yeah, and listen, he knew he had a slim margin for error in terms of off-field discretions. It's shocking to me that he would allow this to happen under his watch. We're going to continue this talk. Keep it where it is. Joe Lisi, Rich Sermonello, Fantasy Sports Radio Network. Keep it where it is. You're listening to College Football Game Day on SB Nation Radio. Here are your hosts, Rich Sermonello and Joe Lisi. Continuing our coverage of the New Mexico Bowl before we turn our attention to that huge battle in Las Vegas, Houston and San Diego State. Rich, I think New Mexico dominates this game. They're averaging 37 points per game. They're giving up 32 on the defensive end. But you look at Texas San Antonio averaging 29 points as an offense. 28 points they're giving up in terms of scoring defense. Really think it comes down to the rushing attack of New Mexico, 360 yards on the ground. I think they wear down uh, UTSA's defense. I think they win this ballgame 45-24 over Texas San Antonio later today. Yeah, I think we're kind of on the same page here. It might be a little more competitive. I think UTSA will have some success offensively, but I agree with your assessment, Joe. It all comes down to the New Mexico running game. They run that offense seamlessly, at this, especially at this stage of the season. They're deep in the backfield. I think they get into the 40s. Could be something in the neighborhood of about 41 to 28, but New Mexico big, New Mexico big on the ground, New Mexico in a cover. We'll turn our attention to, to Houston and San Diego State. Now, I'm just looking at a weather report. It shows 65 and rainy with a possible, it says 17-mile-an-hour winds uh, in that battle. So we'll see how that affects the passing attack of Houston and Greg Ward Jr. Uh, Tom Herman no longer the head coach. He has moved on to become the head coach at Texas. Uh, Todd Orlando does take over for the uh, the coaching duties in this ballgame. Uh, Major Applewhite, newly named head coach for Houston. This is an intriguing battle, and I can't wait to watch this game play out at 3.30 later today because you have a high-octane offense in Houston with a blue-collar, methodical rushing attack led by Las Vegas kid Donnell Pumphrey, a blue-collar team. I mean, this this game, I really want to see which team dictates tempo uh, in, in this ballgame, but I'm calling for the upset here. I like the Aztecs, the way they match up against the Cougars in this ballgame, Rich. 
I totally agree. I don't know if that's good news or bad news for <laughs> listeners, but we are on the same page, Joe. I I love the personnel of San Diego State, and, and at times this year, they didn't click. But when you look offensively, you mentioned Danell Pumphrey, but defensively, just a ton of quality players, right? I mean, Alex Barrett uh, on the defensive line, Calvin Munson, uh, linebacker, DeMonte Kazee, all our first team, all Mountain West performers. Again, at times this year, they didn't get it done. Here's my concern. You don't have Tom Herman. You don't have Tom Herman's play calling. And I think if you're Houston, do you have much motivation for this game? I mean, they spent the entire season. You open with the win over Oklahoma. Uh, you beat Louisville at the end of the year. This is a team that likes those types of settings. They they want to drag down a top-ranked team. You send them out to Las Vegas when they were thinking New Year's Six bowl game, possibly a playoff spot. They're out in Las Vegas to play San Diego State. I don't think they're going to be motivated. I don't think they're going to be in sync without Herman. I think this is a big San Diego State effort. They're getting points. I agree with you. I think they win it outright. Well, here's the thing. I could counter that point with Major Applewhite. He'll be calling the plays from the offensive perspective. Greg Ward there as the quarterback. He's Mm -hmm. very familiar with him. But you have guys on that team that probably want to impress Major Applewhite. We saw it a few years ago when Steve Sarkeesian was named USC head coach. USC played in this bowl game and dominated. So that's the counterpoint. I will say this from the football perspective, though. You look at Houston this year, they have three losses. Lost to Navy, lost to SMU, lost to Memphis, all on the road this year. You look at their and that and this game is on a neutral field site, so that's the one factor why I like San Diego State. You look at their rushing offense and output this year in 2016, even though they have Duke Catalan and they've had Greg Ward, they're down from last year. As a team, they rushed for 235 rushing yards per game in 2015. This year, it was 157 per game. You look at their three losses. In those three losses as a team, they failed to run the football consistently, only 108 yards on the ground. You look on the road this year or on a neutral field site, they have dipped down to 139 per game. And here's the thing that I'm big on, and you know I am big on this, turnover margin. Last year, the two top teams in FBS in in terms of turnover margin, San Diego State at plus 22, Number two was Houston at plus 21. You look at Houston entering this ballgame now, minus three in turnover margin as a team for 2016 and minus four on the road this year. San Diego State still creating turnovers, Rich, plus 10 entering this ballgame. Yeah, I, I think we'll see an A game out of San Diego State. Again, I'm concerned. I like your point about Major Applewhite, but I'm concerned about the uh, the motivation, the, uh, the execution of Houston in this game. One thing I do want to point out, though, for fans who watch the Las Vegas Bowl, you want to pay attention to one player. Forget for a moment Danell Pumphrey. Ed Oliver, the defensive tackle from Houston, the single best true freshman in the country this season, better than Jalen Hurts of Alabama. This guy is a true blue chipper, a wrecking ball from the inside, incredibly fast. So if you want to watch a young player who's going to be a superstar for the next couple of seasons, check out Ed Oliver, number 10 Houston defensive line. Did he make your all-freshman team? I'm assuming he did because he was a top-five yeah. recruit, five-star recruit. Mm-hmm. The only 
only question I guess Houston Cougar fans want to know, does he stay with Major Applewhite? Because this is a kid that could move on to an LSU, an Alabama, or even a Texas, sit out a year, even gain more size and strength, and be a dominant force whatever team he might go to. I'm not saying he's going, but there is that possibility. Yeah, first team, freshman All-American. In fact, he was our defensive freshman of the year this season. I would expect him to to pay his dues for the next couple of seasons. He's a three years and out, so he'll play as a sophomore, play as a junior, prepare for the NFL. It's early, Joe, but he has all of the skill set that you would look for in a future first-round draft choice. And here's the thing with San Diego State that I like as well. I mean, down the stretch, they sort of wore down as a team. And I another underrated head coach that has New Mexico ties is Rocky Long. I love what he mm-hmm. does in terms of preaching physicality in the offense and defensive lines. He was an underrated head coach at New Mexico, sort of uh, really got this job at San Diego State by default, was on that staff. But he had a running back back in the day, with Dontrell Moore, that was a very underrated running back with the Lobos. But here's the thing that I love that this team does. They are focused. Now, it's going to come down to making plays in this ballgame because I do feel that Houston has the speed advantage over San Diego State. But I will say this. Christian Chapman, who is a sophomore now, has progressed in the passing attack. So if the offensive line has some continuity and success, I expect Chapman to make big plays over the top of that Houston secondary. It's going to have to be well protected. Nico Saragusa is his top offensive lineman. But one of the keys for Houston, beyond Ed Oliver, Tyus Bowser missed a big chunk of the season, had a fight with a teammate, uh, was was hurt badly, broke his jaw during the season. He is now back, and you saw against Louisville late in the season that when he's able to unleash kind of a hybrid defensive end outside linebacker, he can wreak havoc in opposing backfield. So if he gets in Chapman's face, if he could hit Pumphrey in the backfield, that could change the offensive game plan for the Aztecs. It can, and you look at the three losses by Houston, like I mentioned to Navy, SMU, and Memphis, it wasn't just their lack of ability to run the football as an offense. It was their ability to shut down the run in those three losses. They allowed 210 rushing yards per game as a defensive unit this year. They've been rock solid, only allowing 97 rushing yards to opposing offenses. The way you have to beat Houston, believe it or not, is over the top on their secondary. They're allowing 227 passing yards per game. So you look at San Diego State this year as an offense. They're averaging 35 points per game, but it's a run-heavy offense 273 on the ground, on the road or on a neutral field site, Rich, 288 rushing yards per game. So to me, Chapman does have to make plays. He's completing 60% of his passes, 19 touchdowns, 6 interceptions. And more importantly, as an offense, San Diego State is converting 42% on third downs. The one thing we didn't touch on, I'll touch on in a couple of seconds. Danell Pumphrey could become the all-time leading rushing, all-time leading rusher in college football history. I hate that because Ron Dane, his <laughs> bolt stats are not included. Ron Dane is still the all-time leading rusher, and no disrespect to Danell, but you gotta put those bowl stats from Ron Dane back into his numbers. We're gonna come back, give our predictions on the Las Vegas Bowl. Stay with us. This is Joe Lisi, Rich Sermonello, Bowl Talk all day long. Keep it where it is. Fantasy Sports Radio Network.
college football game day right here on the Fantasy Sports Radio Network. Rich and I were getting into a, a discussion about this Bobby Petrino situation with Wakegate. It's really incredible. Again, I, I am fuming, and it's more than just Bobby Petrino. It's Louisville as a whole because we've seen this now, not just with him, but what about uh, Petino? And the basketball mm-hmm. uh, program there. I mean, they're, they've basically taken the stance, we just care about winning. We don't care about the yeah. chill, the kids. We don't care what our coaches do and what they instill in young values in terms of student-athletes. All we care about is wins and losses and how much revenue those coaches can bring in from a, from a revenue standpoint. Well, and what you're saying, Joe, is that Tom Jorich, the athletic director, has has handled these programs improperly, and I agree with you. I understand. I'm not naive. I understand this is big business. I get the money side of it. I, I get the importance of winning, filling seats, turning those turnstiles. I understand all of that, but can we take a step back once in a while and realize that these are student athletes. These are faces of universities. These are still academic institutions. So I agree with you. I get fired up when coaches cross the line. This is beyond the pale in terms of trying to get a competitive advantage. And I said it before, and I'll say it again. If somebody feeds you information that you should not be getting that is improper information, you stop, you go to the authorities, and you end it right there. He allowed it to fester, and I think he's going to pay the price at some point. I agree with you, and here's the thing too. It's it's not just it's not just it's somebody had said, oh, it's like getting the answers on a test. Listen, we've been in school, uh, you know, people get answers to tests. You don't rat on people like that. I I don't think you do that. This is a different issue. You're the leader of an academic institution that mm-hmm. that really parents are sending their children to school, looking you in the eye in a recruiting visit and saying, I trust you with my child. And if you're going to teach him values, that is going to send him down the wrong path. Because what is cheating? If you're saying we're not good enough to beat Wake Forest, we need the offense or defensive game plan. What does that say as, 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 a, as a head coach in my ability? And hey, Joe, it, fair or not, and I think sometimes it'll be done unfairly, it also sullies a lot of the accomplishment, accomplishments of those kids because people are going to say, well, look, they had, a, they had an unfair advantage. Right. We're going to take... That's what, that's, yeah, we'll yeah. take a quick break. We'll come back. We'll continue this discussion. Joe Lisi, Rich Sermonella, live from New York, Big Apple, Fantasy Sports Radio Network. You're listening to College Football Game Day on SB Nation Radio. Here are your hosts, Rich Sermonello and Joe Lisi. Continuing our coverage of the Las Vegas Bowl, 3.30 p.m., Houston, San Diego State. Keep an eye out on the weather. There is rain in the forecast with possibly 17-mile-an-hour winds in that battle. So keep an eye out on that. If you want to break this game down, we're continuing our coverage. Rich and I both like San Diego State. For me, I think when you look at San Diego State's defense too, Rich, they're allowing 21 points per game. They're only giving up 111 rushing yards on the ground. And as a defensive unit, they have 31 sacks on the year as well. So a very active defensive front seven that brings pressure off the edge and they're going to have to contain Greg Ward Jr. and force him into into mistakes in this matchup to get field position. And that is the compelling matchup for me. It's it's that veteran San Diego State defense against Greg Ward Jr. Joe, we kind of forgot about him in the second half of the season. He wasn't always healthy. He wasn't on the radar like he was in September when we thought he might be a fringe Heisman contender. 
But we recognize the skill set of Greg Ward Jr. We realize how versatile and explosive he could be, especially when he gets outside of the pocket. So I want to see how those – I love the San Diego State uh, defenders. I love the veteran nature of this team, even on the offensive line. So how they're able to control Greg Ward Jr., that is clearly one of the keys of today's game. And this game will look great on the screen. I always like that as well. How does it look on the television screen with San Diego State, the white, the black? We'll see which uniforms they break out for this battle, but Houston as well. And Greg Ward Jr., just to get to him for quickly, he was a high school quarterback. And when they had problems at the quarterback position a few years ago, he was a wide receiver that they brought back. Yeah. And he was 5-1 and one as a starter, and it really he broke out last year. He's not going to be an NFL player due to his height. I mean, he's only about 5'11", a diminutive guy. He's only about 185 pounds. But he can be a slot receiver in the NFL but this is a kid that just epitomizes what college football is all about. I mean, now he now moves on and with Major Applewright calling this game, I'm sure that they're looking to have a big day in this ball game. But again, he is a guy that has just shown the ability to adapt to a situation and have great success. Greg Ward Jr., Joe, is, is he going to be the second coming of Antoine Randall L.? Good point. Or maybe Cordell, Cordell Stewart. I mean, where do you see him fitting in? I, in I say, yeah. Antoine Randall. Clearly he's going to play. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So we'll see. I mean, I, I, I'm calling, I think this game, if San Diego State wins this game, they're going to have to run the football and control the clock. So I don't think that, it, I like San Diego State here, but I, I mean, I don't think it's high scoring. I think it's in the area of, I want to say like, I'd say this game is like 28-24 San Diego State because the only way they can't get into a shootout. They lost a game against Colorado State the same type of way. They need that battle like the Mountain West Conference Championship 27-24. That's what I see this as, a methodical rushing attack. They scored 28-24. San Diego State picks up this matchup. Yeah, we're kind of in the same ballpark. I have it 31-28, but I also like San Diego State. I think it's a sort of an early Christmas gift for you, right? You're getting a little, <laughs> here's your five points. Here's your here's your grab bag five grab points. Grab bag for taking the five Aztecs. points <laughs> with the Aztecs. We'll see how that game plays out 3.30 later today. Another intriguing battle, really hasn't gotten much talk, talk this year, is the Cure Bowl between Arc State and UCF with Scott Frost. I mean, Scott Frost has done a fantastic job taking over last year year for George O'Leary, who left and was fired in the middle of last year. As a team, they were 0-12 last year. He's brought offensive balance back to the Knights, 6-6 six and six overall, and they've played a solid schedule this year. They lost to Houston, but played very well. South Florida and Michigan all on the road. They're playing this game 25 miles from their campus in Orlando. I like UCF here. I think they're very blue-collar, and I love what Scott Frost has done with this team. Yeah, hey, listen, you nailed it. I, I mean, in first year to go from 0-12 to 6-6, and the fact that we're talking about UCF in a bowl game is remarkable, even more so that, you know, Frost is an offensive guy, comes from Oregon. We know that he's going to install an up-tempo system, doesn't have the offensive talent. So the fact that he could milk six wins out of a team that is largely led by Shaquem Griffin, who I encourage people to watch, linebacker from UCF this afternoon, uh, 
it's mostly a defensive team. I like Arkansas State. I like them Ooh. outright. I, I think people have dismissed the Red Wolves this year, played very well down the stretch. I like their balance on offense, Joe. I like their defensive talent. We talked last week about Javon Rollin-Jones, their defensive end. He, he forms a bookend with Chris Odom. I think they'll give a lot of problems to Mackenzie Milton and a young offense of UCF that struggles to score. So I think ASU defense over UCF offense, I think it's close, low scoring. Red Wolves, another gift for you. Take oh, those six points Rich today. giving out gifts. Secret Santa in the house yeah. in the Big Apple. Here's the thing, and I, I the one thing that I picked UCF, and I don't like to do is take freshman quarterbacks in the bowl season. Yeah. Even though the extra time of preparation will usually benefit them, when I make the picks, I look for senior quarterbacks that haven't played well during the regular season. Because for right. me, I like to utilize that as a, as a motivational standpoint. They haven't played well during the regular season. They're seniors. They want to end their last game on a high note. So I like that. Well, you love of, Iowa, then you're all over Iowa. Well, we haven't got then, we right? haven't gotten to that point yet. I smell a little bit of C.J. Beathard love out of Joe Lee. <laughs> we, we haven't gotten to that point yet, but I, I will right. say this I'm about Arc, Arc State: very blue collar team. I love what this team has done as well. They're averaging yeah. 27 yeah. points per game, 146 yards on the ground, 245 through the air. The one problem I have with Arc State is conversions on third down. Only as an offense, 30% conversions on third down. When you force three and outs as a defense, you give your other your opposing offense field position and that's why I like Central Florida here. Now, they're only converting 30% on third downs as well, but I think they have the more sophisticated offense and more speed on the perimeter. So that's why I like UCF in this matchup. We'll take a quick break we'll come back with an in-depth analysis about this game along with the prediction keep it where it is this is joe lisi rich sermonello live from rock and riley's fantasy sports radio network Back on College Football Game Day right here on the Fantasy Sports Radio Network. Rich, I know you have some breaking news. What do you got for us? Well, we talked a lot this morning about Minnesota. The Gophers have caved. They will be playing in the Holiday Bowl. Announced this morning, so all the talk about Northern Illinois and will we have a Holiday Bowl. The Holiday Bowl will go on. The Holiday Bowl will go on. Too many economics involved, Rich. You know that as well as anybody. Money drives the how bus. Did they get to, how did they get to these kids, though? What did they do to get to these kids? Ha- Nothing has changed. I'm a little bit surprised. Yeah, yeah, I haven't seen it. I saw it up on the screen here and couldn't read what happened. So that was a great catch by you to, to bring it on air. We're going to have to see if we can get the full story about what went down with Minnesota. But you talk about senior quarterbacks. And one of their quarterbacks, their starting quarterback, Mitch Leidner hasn't had a very successful season this year. Seven touchdowns, 12 interceptions. He's a guy that probably wants to step up in this bowl game and try to outshine Luke Falk in this battle. Yeah, we talked about it as we weave through traffic into the city last night. Leidner <laughs> is a very good college quarterback, and I like watching him play. He is reminiscent you know, of that Taysom Hill type of a Tim Tebow type of a quarterback that he's a physical runner, but when he's got to drop back to pass, 
it's suspect. Now he's going to go up against an aggressive Washington State defense led by Alex Grinch, their coordinator. So you're right. It's a big game for him, uh, his final shot as, a, as an amateur player. And you talk about weaving through traffic last night. Uh, you were getting me a little nervous in the car. I, you know, I mean. Uh, was, was that going in or, or coming home? Both. Coming home I have worse. to admit, I, I, was, I had the, the, the fake break going on there yeah. because. Uh, How was that working for I, you? I have no idea what was going on. You strike me, you know, conservative, like, you know, not going to yeah. take that risk. We were, I feel, I felt like I was in the Indy 500 last night. Well, I wanted to give you a little bit of an experience. It was like Fantasy Island for you last well, night. It was. It was very nice. Now, I have to be honest with you here. I've been uh, trying to get a cup of coffee and I went to get a, a, a cup of coffee and I was told I was high maintenance. I don't know. I, because when I watch the football games, um, I ask for a lot. So uh, high maintenance. I want you to uh, sal- salivate on that for a second. And, you know, we'll, okay. we'll come back. We'll talk about that. We're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we'll be breaking down all the bowl games. Keep it where it is. We're just getting started. Breaking news. Minnesota has ended the boycott. We'll play in the Holiday Bowl. This is Joe Lisi, Rich Sermonello, Fantasy Sports Radio Network. This is SB Nation Radio. The next generation of sports radio. Kelly's going to run right. He heads to the goal line. Does he break the plane? He does! Touchdown! Ole Miss! This is College Football Game Day. Roberts is in the shotgun. He takes the snap. He runs to the left. It's a sweep. He's to the four, to the He's three. In. He's in. Touchdown, Michigan! Here are your hosts, Rich Sermonello and Joe Lisi. Back on the College Football Game Day show right here on the Fantasy Sports Radio Network. Rich and I had talked about motivation for players. We're going to get an inside view about what players think about in terms of bowl preparation. We have our SEC insider Corey Allen from the University of Georgia live on the Progressive Celebrity Hotline. Corey, it's bowl season. Jingle, jingle. This is what it's all about. Talk to me about bowl preparation, my friend. Bowl preparation, Joe, is one of the uh, – it's really one of the more fun times of the year. You don't have class as a player. You're really in a strong position to get a lot of development uh, from your coaching staff. So this is really an exciting time for the players. They've really all worked very hard to have a postseason matchup regardless of whether you're in the college football playoff or not, Joe. So it's really an exciting time as a player because right now you have a chance to continue to develop, continue to try to get a victory under your belt, and to take a road trip with the guys that you love the most, your close family members, your coaching staff, and that team as well. So it's an exciting time as a player. And anytime you get a chance to put the equipment on one more time and play against an opponent in front of the fans, it's always going to be an enjoyable moment. Very crucial, though, because you've got matchups that are going to be competitive. These are teams that haven't seen each other. You don't know very much about your opponent. So this is just really, again, an exciting time. You've got a lot to learn as a player. There's a lot of preparation. The coaches really take advantage of this because it's a precursor to the spring game, and I really think that that's a testament to uh, the season that the teams have had thus far. Hey, Corey, it's Rich. Uh, you mentioned motivation. That's always something I think about this time of year because the postseason, yeah, playoffs aside, postseason is so much different than the regular season across the board. How challenging is it for coaches, let's say in today's games, to get kids up when they realize, you know, no conference title on the line, it ends today? How difficult is that for a coaching staff? 
Well, it shouldn't be very difficult at all, to be completely honest with you. The only time that really poses a threat is if your coaching staff is in jeopardy. But it's not hard to motivate young men because really each player, regardless of your scenario, wants to go out on a high note. So it's just another opportunity to do that and take advantage of what you've got in front of you. So the coaches understand that the players really – the players have to be motivated, definitely. They really need to uh, pay close attention to make sure each guy has that specific focus. But this is not a difficult time because you have more time. Coaches have more time with these players. So you're having conversations. You're really getting to understand where that guy is at this point in the season, making sure his grades are on point, making sure his health is to the top level, making sure he's ready and prepared to play in at least one more game, and especially especially for the senior class. These seniors all across the country, most of them, this is the last football game that they're going to play in. It can be an emotional time, but you want your seniors to go out on a high note. So the underclassmen are playing for the seniors. The seniors are playing for the fans, and the seniors are also playing for pride because some of them may not get a chance to take that next step. But it's really the coaches should not have a difficult time motivating players because if you're a player and you're not motivated and you're not taking advantage of this opportunity, then the coach can clearly see that you won't be an asset he's going to use next year, and that young guy waiting in the wings is ready and aggressive to step up. Corey, you had an outstanding bowl game uh, in 1998, January 1st, 1998, when your Georgia Bulldogs broke out the Black Britches. I love that game against Ron Dane, rocking Ron Dane and the Wisconsin Badgers, 33-6. to the, the previous year in 96 was a disappointing season, 5-6 and six overall when Jim Donning got there. How excited were you as a team to make that bowl game, the Outback Bowl, and to really prove, uh, you know, as a senior, what you were all about in terms of your collegiate career. Because, I mean, when teams get there for the first time or after a disappointing season, it's got to feel really good as a team overall for the success you had. I tell you what, Joe, it gives you a chance as a senior to – to set a precedent. When I was a senior back in 1997, you're exactly right. My junior year, we missed a bowl game. We didn't make it. We were all extremely disappointed. It was a terrible season under first-year coach Jim Dodden. And as a senior, the following year, our goal between myself, guys like Hines Ward, Robert Edwards, Mike Bobo, Marcus Stroud, the name and the list goes on and on. But we all took it upon ourselves to make sure we took advantage of the opportunity that following year. And we worked extremely hard to get to the Outback Bowl. There was a great sense of pride. And, Joe, when I look back on what we were able to accomplish with that hard work, uh, looking at the SEC, I think I just noticed here recently that since that date, since 1997, the University of Georgia has not missed a bowl game. So it really gives me a personal sense of pride to help start that tradition, get it back on the rolling track, on the right track, and make sure that this program is represented each postseason. And that's something that I take great pride in. Even though championships weren't played for in every season, you really want to give your senior class an opportunity to play 50 more snaps, to play another game. So it's really a great time. And I look back on that time fondly because I think I had a a great opportunity. I had a great time contributing with a great bunch of men. Corey, uh, you uh, did a great job of talking about the balance of winning for seniors and then also sort of taking a peek into next season, into next spring. I look at your Georgia Bulldogs as one of those teams, first-year coach, first-year quarterback, generally young team, that could use this bowl game against TCU as a bit of a launching pad. Do you look at, the, uh, look at it that way as well? 
the bowl season, Rich, is definitely a springboard into your following season because it gives the coaches a chance to evaluate players that they haven't had a great opportunity to look closely at throughout the current year. So right now, uh, you're exactly right. The University of Georgia is in a very strong position for 2017 because of this bowl game. Kirby Smart, first-year head coach, first-year coordinators across the board, first-year quarterback, a young kid in the system. All of this continued development, these additional 15 practices are essential in that uh, progress that you're looking to make over these next six to eight months before the next season. So I think this is a great time, not just for the University of Georgia, but for every team getting these bowl practices in because it's hard to find a national championship contender among the crowd who didn't go to a bowl the year before. So I think it's a great testimony to the strength of the program. Even though we didn't have the season we wanted as Bulldogs, I think Coach Smart can springboard this bowl practice into the spring practice, and he'll have a chance to develop a lot of these young men and make sure they're ready to play come next season. Corey, great information as always. We know you're on the road. We want to thank you for coming on today. We hope you enjoyed it. If I do not speak to you, we wish you and your family a very Merry Christmas. Happy New Year. But I will be in touch, my friend. You know that. But just great information. We hope you enjoyed it today. Thanks for having me, fellas. I really appreciate the time. I do want to give a quick shout-out to Joe and your new fiancé. Congratulations on the engagement. <laughs> Rich, you take care, buddy, and I'll talk to you guys soon. Go dog. Merry Christmas, Corey. Merry Christmas. Love, love, number 80 from the Georgia Bulldogs. That game in 98, January 1st. Still have it on VHS, Rich, because I was a huge Bulldog fan. Still am. Robert Edwards, that game propelled him to become the number one draft pick in 1998 with... Pete Carroll and the New England Patriots. So keep that in mind. They rolled to a 33-6 victory. Rich, we do have a caller on the line that has a San Diego State question for us. I believe Adrian is live, and I'm going to take a guess that he's calling from New Jersey. That's right, baby. New Jersey represents. What's up, Adrian? Talk to us. What's up, guys? How you doing today? We're doing well. Good. Uh, I'm, I'm glad that there's a Jersey guy who's following college football. I'm shocked, Adrian. What You're you like have? a needle in a haystack there. I'm not going to lie to you. That man right there, Joe, got me into college football like you wouldn't believe. I follow his, his, uh, his, his website, and uh, college football is the best. I, I'd rather watch that over NFL any day now. Does he talk too much about Purdue football, Adrian? Is that something that gets a little bit incessant at times? Does it? Do you hear a little bit too much about David Blau? He's always telling me he loves Purdue. I don't. I don't know. <laughs> what's your What's your question? We have a minute. We'll keep you on break, and we'll we'll answer it. But what's the question that you have on San Diego State today? You know, I, I think a little piqued my interest. I had a little uh, interest on the. Uh, on the line there, I saw that San Diego started at three and a half, and now they're a five-point dog. I was wondering why the public is is loving Houston today. That's all. I mean, I know Houston beat Oklahoma and all that, but mm-hmm. I was just curious as to why the, the public is pounding Houston right now. Well, be, we have thirty seconds. We'll we'll hold you on the line. We'll continue this discussion on break when we come back on uh, SB Nation Radio. So keep it where it is. This is Joe Lisi, Ritz Sermonello, live from Rock and Riley State of the Art Studio, right here on the Fantasy Sports Radio Network. We're talking college football. Nothing better.
back on college football game day when Rich and I left off. Uh, Rich, I asked the question whether I'm high maintenance or not. I, I felt like Starsky and Hutch last night. I mean, the way you were driving yeah. and navigating through New York City last night. Uh, really, think about that. I was completely sober. Could you imagine if I had a drink last night? I mean, how devastating would that have been? That was all on water. That was water going in, water on the way out. I'm not a drinker. Certainly when I drive, I'm absolutely not a drinker. But could you imagine how bad it would have been if I had a couple of sips of Chardonnay last well, night? Well, the best was you told me you wore glasses, and then I realized you had no, you, you didn't have any on your face. So I was starting That's to panic true. a little bit. I was, you know. That's true. I'm you, trying to challenge myself definitely i'm trying to make it a little i'm trying to make it a little harder to drive it's gotten so easy after all these years so i'm, I'm trying to i'm trying to try i'm trying to challenge myself it was like mr magoo behind the wheel last oh night. that is great i will say this in terms of we'll turn our attention to bowl motivation because i think that's a big important factor as you as you really break down these matchups which teams are focused for these bowl yeah. matchups another thing to keep in mind too is the younger guys getting involved in offenses or defenses for that matter guys mm-hmm. and coaches Coaches where they realize they have a junior or senior moving on to the next level, the NFL, a guy that had significant playing time, and they want to work the younger players into the mix. You'll see a lot of running backs, especially if routes start to become uh, official, whether a team's getting blown out or has a big lead, you'll see other skill players get involved. And that's something that you have to keep an eye out as these outcomes play out later today. Uh, Joe, I really like the bowl season for a variety of reasons. We've talked about it. For me, one of the favorite angles that I have, we do this for a living. So we'll be back covering college football in 2017. This is our last opportunity to evaluate the key players for next season. And to your point, it's a lot of those young guys as well. So this is some advanced scouting for us. I love the bowl season for that. And coaches want to see these players in game situations. These games don't matter in terms of the regular season. So that's why you'll see see a coach or a skill coach where a running back coach want to work younger players into the mix because it doesn't affect conference championships. It doesn't affect their their role in terms of making the playoff. It's the last game of the year before they head into spring ball. So they want to see these players respond in game situations. So it's very intriguing. We'll take a quick break. When we come back, we'll really get into the meat of some of the later bowls. Keep it where it is. This is Joe Lisi, Rich Sermonello, live on the Fantasy Sports Radio Network. Work live from the Big Apple. College football, bit nothing better, my friends. You're listening to College Football Game Day on SB Nation Radio. Here are your hosts, Rich Sermonello and Joe Lisi. Back on College Football Game Day, continuing our coverage. We do have a caller on the line in Adrian from New Jersey that brought up the characteristic of. The line movement of Houston opening at three and a half, jumping up to five, four and a half in Vegas. Looking at the Vegas angle, I could tell you this, Adrian, when you look at this battle too, you see line movements because of teams that have won in the past. I mean, the Las Vegas Bowl, the last couple of years from the Vegas angle has been won by favorites. Last year, Utah beat BYU in the Holy War as a three and a half point favorite. Two years ago, they dominated Colorado State in that matchup. So players look for these bowl games and line moves as bowl games where dogs come out or favorites. So Las Vegas Bowl traditionally over the last few years has been won by favorites, but Rich and I are bucking the trend and we both like San Diego State later today. We, we lost still have Adrian. We lost Adrian. Oh Rich. no, I'm so I was just 
He, yeah, we yeah, don't have your I'll, time. The- you, you got you made your call. We don't have time to keep you on. Let do you understand what we're talking, our friends here? Listen, let's go hashtags, baby. I'm, I love it. I love the information. I was just listening. I didn't want to interrupt you. I appreciate it. Not yeah, a- very quickly. I, I I think the line change also has to do with the uh, with the the head coach stability. I, I think once they kept Major Applewhite, somebody from that staff, big difference in having to go with an interim coach. I think that also had some money going towards the Cougars. Adrian, good luck today. Keep calling in. We love your enthusiasm. Great fan of the show, Adrian from New Jersey. We'll turn our attention, Rich, to this Arkansas State-UCF matchup. I like UCF here. I think a couple of factors for me when I look at this ballgame, it is the speed on the perimeter of Scott's Frost offense. And the one thing I brought up that we really didn't get into, when you look at the transition from 0-12 last year under George O'Leary's offense till this year, was their inability to run the football effectively as a team. 81 total rushing yards per game. This year, they were running sideline to sideline, more of a spread attack balance. They're averaging 151 rushing yards on the ground. If you watch them play in those battles, Houston, South Florida, and Michigan, very competitive in those ball games. And I like their speed. I think they win this ball game convincingly. They're in the state of Florida. I see them winning this battle 38-21 to over oh, Arkansas God, State. I- Am I going to have to bring out a tattoo bed again? Because uh-oh, uh-oh. There, is, there is no way UCF is scoring 38 against the No way they're scoring 38. Let me, let me explain to you why you're a little bit, dare I say, off base in this one. Look at UCF's victories this season. Again, impressed by what Scott Frost did. They've beaten South Carolina State, Florida International, East Carolina, UConn, Tulane, and Cincinnati, none of whom will be participating in the postseason. Now, you flip over to Arkansas state which finished very strong i look at this team going on the road november 17th end of the season against a very good troy team that had its sights set on winning the sunbelt conference and they ambushed the trojans 35 to 3 they have quality victories this year there is no way barring a spate of defensive touchdowns UCF is not scoring above 30 points. Are you hitting a little bit of grandpa's cough syrup? I, I just want to make sure. Now I, I can because I'm not driving today. Yes, a little bit of Robitussin, my All personal right. favorite. We'll see, we will see how that game plays out. Here's a game I love. We're gonna, we got to pick it up a little bit. I, we do have a former mm-hmm. Penn State captain joining us at the bottom of the hour. But this is a battle that I love. Toledo and App State, two yeah. solid Great quarterbacks. Game. Logan Woodside for Toledo. You have Taylor Lamb for App State. I love Toledo in this matchup. I know a lot of people like Appalachian State, but I love the Rockets in this battle. I love their balance on offense, rushing for 200 yards per game, passing for 329 through the air. On top of Logan Woodside, they have Kareem Hunt, they have Terry Swanson, and this is an offense, Rich, that's converting. 52% on third downs and has only allowed 12 sacks as an offensive line this year. Yeah, I agree with you. I I like Toledo. You love Toledo. I think Appalachian State has a better defense, actually a far better defense than Toledo. But that balance that you mentioned, Cody Thompson on the outside, we both like Kareem Hunt. Logan Woodside quietly has had a spectacular season. Too much offense, too much firepower from the Rockets. I think they win. But to your point, I think what you were hinting at is this is a very good first day of the bowl season bowl game. I think this is a competitive matchup and a lot of talent 
on both teams. And people have brought up the, the week one matchup for Appalachian State against Tennessee. We've seen Tennessee now. We've seen the body of work from week one. And even though they were decimated by injuries at the end yeah. of the year, we saw say, just yep. how bad that defensive front seven was in run support. And I look at Appalachian State, if you want to get a gauge about how this ball game might play out in terms of physicality, I like Toledo's offensive line. I like it so well that I think they're going to be able to pound the football on App State's defensive front seven that's given up 125 rushing yards per game. But if you watch App State against Miami, I think it's going to play out the same sort of way where yeah. Miami wore down App State at home. I mean, they played Miami was on the road. They wore App State down in that battle and really got a dominating victory. I see Toledo winning this game by double digits in the area of 13 to 17 points today. I think it'll be closer. I think one thing you're failing to point out, Kareem Hunt on the Toledo side, App State has two very good backs. Marcus Cox is the senior. He was hurt for a large portion of the season. Jalen Moore, the sophomore, comes off the bench to be a first-team all-Sun Belt Conference performer. So they have two backs. I think they'll run it well. I think this game is somewhere like a 27-24, 28-24. I think it's closer than you think, Joe. Yeah, I think it might be close early. I really think Toledo has the type of offense to pull away. And you look at both teams, 4-2 and two on the road this year. So that's always an impressive statistic. But you look at the, uh, Toledo's losses this year. On the road in Provo, a gutty, gutty game against Taysom Hill and the Cougars. They lost that battle last second in the, in that ball game. They lost to Ohio, and they lost to Western Michigan, two teams that played in the MAC championship game. So two of the best teams in the MAC they lost to. Outside of that, they've dominated the competition. I think it comes down to, for me as well, I think it's the defensive front seven. They've shown an ability to force teams into three and outs. They're holding opposing offenses to 34% on third down conversions. If you could force three and outs and give the football back to Logan and Woodside in that offense that's converting 52% on third downs, you're going to score points. And that's why I look at App State's offense more methodical. They're rushing for 247 on the ground, only 184 through the air. And that's why I think Toledo pulls away in the second half. Yeah, no, I, I agree. Taylor Lamb, who played very well last season, has struggled this year. Hasn't been the complement in the passing game that the Mountaineers have needed. The difference between he and Logan Woodside is vast at this point. So I think that edge in the passing game gives the nod to the Rockets. The one thing I'll say that we agree on, for fans who have not seen either of these teams, and probably haven't seen either of these teams, again, a lot of really good talent, some of whom we're going to play on Sundays. And when I made my bold predictions, because I put out all my bold predictions on Monday, I went this way. I, when I, I thought it was a lot of equal matchups, but I bought conferences and sold conferences as a whole. Now, that doesn't mean I just bought the MAC and every team in the MAC I think is going to win their bowl game. No. But I think as a whole, the MAC is better than the Sun Belt this year. More stable competition, and they've stepped up against the Power Five conferences that they've played so that's why i like toledo in this matchup but we'll take a quick break when we come back another intriguing battle in the new orleans bowl southern miss and la louisiana lafayette keep it where it is jolisi rich sermonello Back on College Football Game Day right here on the Fantasy Sports Radio Network, live from Rockin' Riley's. 
Rich, I mean, some intriguing battles that we discussed. We talked about how I might be high maintenance, but I think when you look at these bowl games overall, I mean, it really comes down to which teams want to win these ball games. We've heard some from former players like Corey Allen. We're going to hear from another standout from Penn State, former captain, about how these teams prepare for bowl games because I think that's very important to see the kids' perspective, meaning the athletes' perspective as they move on with these weeks of preparation that's important when you break down these battles. You can't underestimate how different this time of the year is compared to September, October, November, right? You're playing largely every, uh, every week. Occasionally you get a bye. You're, you're playing conference opponents that you know, venues that you know. Uh, the schedule is similar. This is dramatically different. So it really comes down to coaching staff, their ability to prepare, their ability to motivate, their ability to keep kids focused on the game ahead. It's very difficult. Here's another angle, too, that we, we didn't really get into. You have young kids who are going to be playing who didn't play much during the season, but you also have seniors who know that next step is the NFL draft. I I mean, it's nice to say everybody's given 110%, but that's not really realistic at this point. You might have someone who's like, listen, I'm not going to turn an ankle. I have to get ready for a pre-combine. So everything is different this time of year. That's why I guarantee we'll see uh, results and outcomes that are completely unexpected. Great point. And I'll use two examples for that over the last couple of years, one where the team won and one where the team lost. Clemson in 2014 played Oklahoma and Deshaun Watson was hurt. Cole Stout stepped in. Now, Cole Stout that year in 2014, a very mediocre year. He threw through two interceptions, returned for touchdowns against G-Tech. He came out. He threw for three touchdowns in that battle. He went out in style and dominated Oklahoma 40-7. to You look at the flip side last year, Michigan and Florida. Five Florida players, including Vernon Hargraves, they uh, went to the NFL draft, uh, declared. They did not yep. step up in that battle. So those are yeah. two examples. You have one good, one bad. So you always have to keep that in mind. We'll continue this conversation on the back end. Stay with us. We're going to take a quick break. This is Joe Lisi, Rich Sermonello, live from the state-of-the-art studio right here. Rockin' Riley's 35th and 8th. Fantasy Sports Radio Network, coming right back at you. You're listening to College Football Game Day on SB Nation Radio. Here are your hosts, Rich Sermonello and Joe Lisi. Back on College Football Game Day, continuing our bowl coverage. Penn State making it to the Rose Bowl against USC. What better way to talk Penn State and college football than with the former captain of the Nittany Lions. He's live on the Progressive Celebrity Hotline. He's also one of the best motivational speakers that I have seen. Former Penn State captain Lee Rubin joins us. Lee, how are you today? We'll wait for Lee Rubin to get back with us. But, Rich, we were talking about the battle tonight in uh, Southern Miss and Louisiana Tech. We do have Lee Rubin back on the line, former Penn State captain. Lee, how are you today? I'm doing great, Joe. How are you? Doing well. How excited are you as a former player to see your team win the Big Ten this year and face USC in the Rose Bowl? Yeah, there's a lot of excitement right now around Penn State football. The team is hot. 
Uh, obviously, we would have liked to have been one notch higher in the top four, uh, but playing USC in a big bowl game like the Rose Bowl is not a bad, not a bad situation for where we've been. So we're really excited. Lee, it's Rich Sermonello. Uh, talk a little bit about James hey, Franklin. Yeah, how are you today? Um, t- talk, if you can, about James Franklin. And uh, obviously, this is a transformational season, but what this could mean to the program uh, beyond 2016, the building block it could be for 2017. Well, I, I think he's kept good on his promise. He's, he's asked fans, he's asked supporters to, to be patient with him, let him build it. Uh, it's obviously a different a different program a different system than than we've seen in the past uh and it <laughs> right on schedule it seems it seems to be working so we're really excited about about where we're going now lee when you talk about uh, you see the development of young men i know you had the opportunity to speak to this team earlier prior to the year uh and you've been up there sure. and have seen the transition in your opinion, what has been the biggest transition that this team has been, has made? Has it been a quarterback, Trace McSorley, or is, has it been the maturity as the team as a whole to really believe in James Franklin as a head coach? Well, I, I think it's a combination of a few things. I, I believe it's getting scholarships back and having enough horses to compete in a very, very difficult division and conference. I think it's it's seeing the recruiting efforts of Coach Franklin and his staff bringing in, you know, some really good players and really good young men, uh, and just developing confidence. We, we're, we're we're seeing the effects of Joe Moorhead's offense, uh, and 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 having some young guys who are confident. And uh, who they are, and, and, and how they play football. So it's, it's you, you can't just say it's this thing. Um, it's it, it's a number of things, and I'm glad to see it all coming together. Lee, talk a little bit about the uh, just the ebb and flow of a season, and the importance of a team that sure. once you get hot, the way that can sort of become an avalanche for any athletic program. Absolutely, you can't underestimate the power of confidence and the, and the power of momentum. Uh, beating Ohio State at night on primetime TV, uh, a, a good Ohio State football team, obviously a top four Ohio State team. You know, w- once you figure that out, that this can be done, uh, it, 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 the, the word avalanche is a pretty interesting word, but yeah, you, you, you keep that thing rolling. Um, and here's the tricky part, though is once you've put yourself in that position, you become the target of other teams, and other teams play you a bit harder, and, 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 and now you've got the target on your back. So uh, it, it takes some maturity to handle that as well. Lee, we have been talking about motivation in bowl games. You had an outstanding career at Penn State from 1989 to 1993. Can you talk about the student-athlete in terms of bowl preparation, what motivates teams that might not be going to a major bowl, and what we might see in terms of outcome and, and how these kids prepare for the upcoming bowl game? You know, I, I think that has a lot to do with coaching philosophy. Uh, dudes and, and coaches approach bowl games very, very differently. To some coaches, it's a reward for a great season. Uh, to some coaches, it's an amazing opportunity with the practices that come after the regular season and, and up into the bowl game to develop young players. For other coaches, it's, a, it's an amazing recruiting opportunity. So, so coaches have different perspectives in, in how they approach playing and, and, and their their efforts to win that bowl game um as a player i love playing the game 
so you know, I heard heard you guys talking a little earlier about guys kind of who, who may kind of take it off in preparation for the next level. Listen, if you love playing football and you're getting a chance to play against a, a, a team that you probably wouldn't play in normal circumstances, those intersectional rivalries, I can't see how you don't get up to play football, right? This is how many how many games do you get to play in your life? Um, so 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 my approach has always been. You put somebody in front of me, hopefully they're really, really good, and it brings the best out of me because I, w- I want to win. Lee, I'm, I'm sure you've had a finger on the pulse sense? of – Yeah, no, it does. It does. But I've been around a lot of kids that, to be honest with you, I have talked to kids in the past that are not motivated to be playing in a ball game. That, that they're, yeah. they're mentally and physically drained. I don't know if you ever saw that at Penn State, but they're mentally and physically drained at this point, and they're kind of ready to move on to the next stage of their life. No, I, I get that. Uh, that month off, again, well, depending on how long the break is and when your bowl game is, but, but typically we played in New Year's Day New Year's Day bowls. So we had a month off to, to really kind of refresh, regroup. School was, school was over, uh, you know, early, early December. Um, and and, and you, you, I think you've got to kind of check yourself and check your check your heart and say, you know, do I love playing this game? Lee, I, I've heard you speak, and I said you're one of the best motivational speakers in today. Uh, I think you, you're phenomenal you. motivation, not only to football teams and sports teams in general, but companies, Fortune 500 companies. And I want to bring up a topic that uh, we've spoken about off air, Rich and I, in terms of the Bobby Petrino situation with Wake Forest receiving uh, – information from Wake Forest Louisville receiving information as a head coach and and that moral and ethical standpoint as a leader of young men and and you're a competitor just like me if I'm Bobby Petrino in my opinion I'm not taking that information because I don't need it if I believe in my in my coaching ability and my kids I don't need to take that information and more importantly where's the ethical standpoint on that issue yeah, well, Joe, you, I, we are cut from the same cloth. That if I can't beat you fair and square, then I then I'm not beating you. Something else or something, you know, crossing the line is beating you, or performance enhancing drugs are beating you. I'm not beating you. I don't want that help. I want to beat you. So, so, so that's that's the approach personally I take. How, however, you know, you know, I, 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 the pressure on these guys to win, the pressure on these coaches by the programs, by the boosters, by the alumni backing. You know that pressure to win is, is is tremendous, and I'm not justifying it, but but I understand why. You know, if, if if I see a potential edge, you know these coaches do some things that they wouldn't ordinarily do. Um, it's just so much pressure. You know, it's a big business. Is it possible, Lee, to put that genie back in the bottle? Because I get a little disturbed. I understand. We talked about it earlier. I understand the economics and the financial side of it, but it does disturb me that we've sort of lost the significance and the meaning of the student-athlete. No, I agree 100%. Uh, But you know what? When it's all said and done, it comes down to personal choice. You know, let's 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 get past sports. Many of us are going to go into major corporations, major businesses, and be faced with the same stuff. Um, at that point, it becomes a personal choice. Are you going to cut corners? Are you going to, you know, steal information? Are you going to, yeah. <laughs> you know, are, it, it really comes down to personal choice. Am I going to do this the right way and be able to look at myself in the mirror and say, I did it, or we did it as a team as opposed to we cheated to get it done? And it, it, it really comes down to personal integrity, in my opinion. 
Lee, great information. Because, again, once, yeah, once we get past, you know, being student athletes, we become people in our society. And if we yep. haven't learned those lessons and do it the right way, we're going to be, we're going to keep doing it. Lee, as always, great information. I mean, we really enjoyed it today. If we don't have the opportunity to talk to you after break, we wish you and your family a very Merry Christmas and Happy New Year. We hope you enjoyed it today. Same to you, Joe and Rich. Really appreciate your time. Good, good luck, and we are. <laughs> okay, that was former Penn State captain Lee Rubin. We'll take a quick break. We'll break down the rest of the bowl season. Week number one. Stay with us. This is Joe Lisi, Rich Sermonello, live from New York, Fantasy Sports Radio Network. Keep it where it is. Back on College Football Game Day, when Rich and I left off, we were talking about motivation for kids, seniors, kids moving on to the NFL. Here's another thing when I broke down bowl matchups, uh, Rich, was the triple option. I think that when you play the triple option, in-game speed, a lot different than practice situations. So I favored a lot of triple option attacks outside the Army North Texas game, but I did lean towards the triple option in a lot of these bowl games. Does it concern you the amount of time? I, I agree, different practicing for it than actually facing it in live action. But oftentimes we'll say, you know, getting that extra week to prepare for the triple option is a real benefit for a defense and a defensive coordinator. Now you've probably had three or four weeks to prepare for the option. Is that a benefit that concerns you at all? It doesn't because I feel like the triple option in terms of the zone blocking and what they're able to do sometimes, especially if you look at the La Tech Navy matchup, Navy runs it as well as anybody, even though Will Worth is out, Zach A.B. comes in, they still can move the football, in my opinion. And if you watch Navy, uh, I'm just going to bring up Navy, but you watch Navy against speed teams this year, like Houston, like Tulsa, they were able to minimize uh, and control the tempo and keep those high octane offenses off the field for much of the game. They were close games, but they were still able to dictate the tempo. I still like Navy and the triple option because I, I feel they can implement more and you're still not ready for it 100%, even though you've had the extra weeks. You know, again, I, I hate to belabor the motivation point. When I look at teams with the least motivation, Navy is my concern. Look at their last two games. You lose the American Championship to Temple. You lose the winning streak over Army. 14 straight goes down the tubes. Now you have to play Louisiana Tech in Fort Worth. I think that's a tough turnaround for the midshipmen. Yeah, we'll see how that game plays out because it's an intriguing battle. We have my favorite head coach in Skip Holtz going up yeah. against Navy in that battle. And he you says saw, facetiously. You yeah. saw what uh, La Tech did in, in the Conference USA championship game to Western Kentucky. I told you Western Kentucky yeah. would knock him around, and they won that game by double digits, but intriguing battle. We'll, ta- we'll touch on that game a little bit later in next segment. Stay with us. We'll take a quick break. We'll be breaking down all the predictions. Joe Lisi, Rich Sermonello, live from the Big Apple, Rock and Riley's Fantasy Sports Radio Network. 
You're listening to College Football Game Day on SB Nation Radio. Here are your hosts, Rich Sermonello and Joe Lisi. Back on College Football Game Day, we'll turn our attention to the New Orleans Bowl, Southern Miss, and Louisiana Lafayette. Rich, I think the wrong team is favored in this ballgame. Southern Miss, yep. one of the worst turnover margins in the country, minus 16. They're also 2-4 and four on the road this year. I think this is a bad matchup for Southern Miss. I like UL Lafayette to win this game straight up. As do I. I, and this is what, like six, five and a half. I'm starting six. to get I nervous. Totally agree. I'm very nervous. No, don't get nervous. Get excited. <laughs> We're agreeing too much. That yes. is a problem. No, I, I totally agree. Listen, this is this is the raging Cajuns home away from home for New Orleans Bowl victories this decade under Mark Hudspeth. I think they make it five, finish the season very strong, even playing well against Georgia in a loss. Southern Miss. Nice quarterback in Nick Mullins, Edo Smith out of the backfield. They were horrible this year. And Jay Hobson, their first-year coach, did an awful job. Hobson versus Mark Hudspeth is a mismatch. I agree with you. This is another game in which I, I think this is a bonus to be getting points. I think I think UL Lafayette wins it outright. I do as well. I look at this finesse team in Southern Miss, uh, offense and defensive line play. Southern Miss allowing 30 points per game. But I look at UL Lafayette's defense giving up 120. 28 rushing yards on the ground, only 25 points per game, and has played very well, even though this uh, on the road this year. But I look at that as well. Road records, 3-3 three and three overall. And they're holding opposing offenses 35% on third downs. We both like UL Lafayette. I want to go quick fire here. Just so many mm-hmm. games to get to. Tulsa yeah. Central Michigan, for me, I think uh, Cooper Rush always rolls sevens in the bowl season. I'm not going against this guy. I like Central Michigan to keep this game close against the Golden Hurricane. Yeah, disagree. I, I like Tulsa. I like Dane Evans on offense. Defensively, they have some underrated talent. I, I think it's Tulsa by more than two touchdowns, I think they cover in this game. Yeah, I think this game is very close. I wouldn't be shocked if Central Michigan strikes the upset, so keep that in mind. I'm expecting Central Michigan to be in this game from start to finish in this ballgame. No Jeff Rahm, no problem. I still like Western Kentucky over Memphis in this battle. A very balanced offense with Mike White that's averaging 45 points per game. I think they roll over Riley Ferguson and the Tigers in this battle. Yeah, I disagree. I think you're going to miss the play calling of Jeff Brom. Nick Holt, defensive coordinator, is the interim coach. Mike Norvell is the head coach at Memphis. Did a terrific job this year. He's got Riley Ferguson at quarterback. A Tennessee transfer. A lot of talent. Anthony Miller on the outside. High scoring. Entertaining. In the Boca Raton Bowl, but I think it's Memphis that wins this game. BYU with no Taysom Hill, Tanner Magnum getting the start. I think that's a problem for BYU. He's a drop-back passer. You know where he'll be. I like Wyoming to run the football on BYU's defense and, more importantly, attack their secondary. That's given up 255 passing yards per game. I think Craig Bowl and the Cowboys strike the upset. I think it's high scoring, but I do think Wyoming picks up a 38-31 victory over BYU in this ballgame. 
I, I like BYU to win. I think Wyoming will cover lots of motivation. It's been a while since they've been a part of the postseason. This is a rivalry game. These two teams have played more than 70 times, so I think Wyoming has a lot at stake. Like their balance on offense. Don't like their defensive talent. That's going to be a problem against Mangum uh, and Jamal Williams out of the backfield. Kalani Sataki, the BYU, BYU coach, did a nice job in his first year, Joe. I think BYU gets the win. I think this is a competitive and entertaining football game. Intriguing battle because you have Idaho who's dropping down to FCS with Linehan, their quarterback, going up against Mike Bobo and Nick Stevens, Colorado State's quarterback. I think Colorado State way too much speed. More importantly, balance uh, rushing the football for over 200, passing for over 200. Nick Stevens started the year two interceptions since that time. Only one INT the rest of the year. For me, that's the difference, and I like Bobo in this spot. I think Colorado State wins this ball game by 20. 25 points or more. Yeah, I agree. Colorado State, a lot of folks don't realize, one of the hottest teams in the country in the month of November. You mentioned Stevens. Michael Gallup, a junior transfer, a wide receiver, has been unstoppable down the stretch. They run the ball. They have balance. Idaho, nice season for Paul Petrino. 8-4, and four, unexpected, not enough talent to keep up with Colorado State. I think this is one of the more lopsided games in the postseason. We mentioned La Tech Navy. I love Navy in this battle. I think their offense wears down La Tech now. La Tech giving up 32 points per game. Navy with Zach Aby, a little one-dimensional, but I still like Navy in this ballgame. They're rushing for 310 on the ground, 54% on third-down conversions as an offense. I'll take that statistic and plus two in turnover margin. Navy wears down La Tech in, I want to say, 38-33. I think Navy wins this ballgame. Yeah, lots of points, right, Joe? I mean, I don't think either defense shows up in this one. I'm going to take Louisiana Tech. I'm a little surprised by that. Normally, I like Navy in the postseason. But again, I'm worried about the mindset. Last two games, big loss to Temple, crushing loss to Army. I just don't know if they're going to be that amped up to go to Fort Worth to play Louisiana Tech. I'm going to take the Bulldogs in a high-scoring and close game. I, I feel good about Navy now. I like uh, now you When do? you're okay. taking All Skip right. Holtz, we have one minute. Last game before we go back on air next Saturday, Ohio and Frank Solich against Troy. To me, love Troy, plus seven in turnover margin, averaging 34 points per game. They win this ballgame convincingly by 13 points or more over the Bobcats. Too much defense for Ohio for this to be a convincing win. Troy, but close. Love the Bobcat defense this year. This is what it's all about because we're just getting started. There are 40 bowl games from start to finish. We are going to be with you each and every Saturday right here from 10 to 12 p.m. right here on the Fantasy Sports Radio Network. Stay with us all season long for Rich Sermonello. This is Joe Lisi. Enjoy the games. Have a Merry Christmas. We'll talk to you next Saturday. Enjoy the games today. Have a great weekend, everyone. Keep it where it is. Back on College Football Game Day. Rich, I left out one game that will be played yeah. on Friday, December 23rd, Bahamas Bowl, between Eastern Michigan ODU. I like Roback, their quarterback for Eastern Michigan. Very solid on the defensive front seven. I like their ability to attack uh, Old Dominion's defensive secondary. Eastern Michigan averaging 295 yards through the air. I like Eastern Michigan to dominate this ballgame. 
One quick point before my prediction. We talk a lot about motivation. I don't think there's a game outside of the playoffs that will be more excitement than these two teams because Eastern Michigan hasn't bowled in forever. Old Dominion has never bowled. Having said that, I like Bobby Wilder and the Monarchs. Uh, I, I think they beat Eastern Michigan, but I think you'll see a lot of intensity in this game. Now, to your point, Rich, if we had less bowls, both of these teams would not be playing in this matchup in the Bahamas Bowl now over the last couple of years. You look at Western Kentucky and Central Michigan with that Cooper Rush game to Titus Davis on the lateral. We had a great matchup. Middle Tennessee and Western Michigan. I mean, two great games in this bowl game. I mean, they're averaging 13,000 fans for this matchup. But if we're following Rich Sermonello's advice, this game wouldn't be taking place. No, that's not true, Joe, because my advice is you got to be 7-5 and five or better. Old Dominion is 9-3. and three. They would be in this game. So I'm not saying you, you kick out, you know, Eastern Michigan is 7-5. I'm not saying you kick out those teams. I just want to see about 10 fewer bowls. I want to get the 6-6 six and six and, God forbid, the 5-7 and seven teams. You're out of here. I don't want to see you any longer in my postseason. I understand Old Dominion is 9-3, and three, but, again, again, when they look at the conferences. They'd be in it, though. They would uh, get in, they, though. At I don't three, know. Get in. Uh, we'll see how this game. So? I yeah. don't know. We'll see how these games play out. I'm going to be tweeting you all day long because uh, right. I can't wait. I mean, my favorite, UCF, UCF is going down. <laughs> They're going down today. Well, baby. my I really like my two uh, favorite games are Toledo App State. I really like the Rockets in that battle, yeah. and I really like UL uh, Lafayette tonight yes. over Southern Miss. I, uh, I, as I, do I. I. I think the uh, I think Southern Miss is the wrong team to be favored in that matchup. I like Hudspeth in that spot. So. We're just getting started during bowl season. We got you caught up to December 24th, Christmas Eve. Follow us next Saturday, 10 to 12, right here on the Fantasy Sports Radio Network. For Rich Sermonello, this is Joe Lisi. Have a great weekend. Enjoy the games. Follow us all season long.